Welcome in to the Otzen Audibles podcast post-game edition, the final post-game edition of the 2020 college football season for your Oregon Ducks. And unfortunately for Oregon and for its fans, boy, ugly way to close out the year. They fall 34-17 to number 10 Iowa State in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Oregon's first loss in this bowl game. Uh, and it's been a couple years now since Oregon closed out a season with a loss. Uh, it's a strange feeling nonetheless. Iowa State wins this one 34-17. And Eric, off the cuff, this was just a straight-up ass-kicking f- for Oregon. And something that, quite frankly, we don't see very often and Oregon was beat in all phases on the field and also in all phases coaching, I think. Yeah, it's it's tough to really point to something you leave feeling good about, right? I mean, you go the offense didn't score in the second half. The defense couldn't get off the field on third or fourth down. Special teams turned it over twice. I think yeah, you can you can kind of, and I'll let you maybe, I know you just wrote a column on duckterritory.com about the coaching and kind of some of the, lack of adjustments in areas that that might have cost them. But it's hard to really look at some of the decisions that were made there and feel really good about what those were. And I think ultimately you go, Oregon needed to be best case to win this game. And they weren't. And they weren't even close. And the reality is, we talked about the talent disparity and how Oregon might have an advantage there. I don't think that even really came into play just because Oregon just didn't. Yep. They weren't putting, they didn't put the players didn't put themselves in positions to win the game, and the coaches didn't put them in positions to win this game. So it really didn't matter. And I think you look, you look at the stats and the box score, and I did this and I said, hey, from a play by play perspective, from a just yards per play perspective, Oregon had more success than Iowa State. You know, or Oregon gained more yards per play. I mean, Iowa State gained 72 yards more for this game, and they had 39 more plays. Um, that's pretty astounding to think about. Iowa State had the ball 26 more minutes than Oregon did in this game. Um, and, yeah, point blank, Iowa State was the better team. I think if Oregon plays its best game, I have no idea if Oregon can hang with Iowa State because they just are so far from that, and they just didn't give themselves a chance. I mean, you think about everything that went wrong. Five turnovers, uh, going, not choosing to punt the ball on fourth and short when the game is on the line, switching between two quarterbacks throughout, never really seeming to find any sort of consistency or, or rhythm with those decisions. Um, the defense, again, losing almost every single third or fourth down play. Uh, the offense going 0 for 6 on third down. Um, <laughs> the complete, That's bad. The complete lack of a run game, period. Um, and I already mentioned the two plays on special teams, which were just really, really costly. And it's just like, I got, I got, I got you know, I think going into this game, what was really interesting was going, okay. And I know we've right at this point, I know Iowa State fans called us out for it, and, and we'll eat our crow here of, okay, Oregon has the better players from a recruiting ranking perspective. I didn't end up leaving this game feeling like recruiting rankings don't matter as much as it went and said, Oregon just made so many, you know, so many freaking mistakes and give Iowa state credit for every single time Oregon made a mistake for maximizing those opportunities and for having, I mean, like they were the, they were the better coach team. They played, they executed so much better than Oregon did in every single facet. And, and, and that's what I'm saying is like, we, over, we overlooked that, I think, in our lead-ups, right? We overlooked that part of, like, Oregon might have the more talented team, but at the end of the day, are, are they going to put that talent into the best positions to, you know, to maximize success? And the fact of the matter is they didn't. And 
I know in the past we've been critical of like Clay Helton at USC for having these incredible all-star rosters and not getting the most out of them. I, I don't want to say Mario Cristobal and his staff is USC staff. I think Oregon's a much better coaching staff. And I think we've seen that obviously in head to head games between the Trojans and the ducks. But at the same time, I do go, this was a really disappointing first game here because I do think Oregon, if they maximize their talent has a chance to at least compete at a very serious level and make this be a very close game. Like we both predicted and maybe win a close game. Like we both predicted, none of that came together and the players were at fault. And I think the coaches and they'll admit it. They were at fault too. Yeah. Mario Cristobal, came said that they, they did not do a good job, did not do a good enough job for the players as a coaching staff. And ultimately, this is where it falls on. It falls on Mario Cristobal, and it falls on his coaching staff. The mistakes that were made in this game are unacceptable. Um, and you, you said it perfectly. Recruiting rankings don't matter when you don't play good football, when you don't play clean football, when you're unprepared and you make mistake after mistake after mistake. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that, USC found something in Oregon's kickoff return unit and exploited it for an onside kick recovery. And Oregon didn't adjust going into the Fiesta Bowl and Iowa State. While they didn't directly onside kick it, they definitely pooched it to try and take advantage of that same vulnerability. And the first time it didn't work for Iowa State, it, Oregon was able to recover, but Oregon didn't adjust. And Iowa State goes, oh, wow, you're not going to change this again? Okay, here we go. We'll try again. And they got a perfect bounce, and it resulted in a turnover, recovery by, by Iowa State. They scored a touchdown. And then we see a game in which punt return, the ball bounces off the head of Michael Wright. And I'm not going to sit here and blame Michael Wright. I'm going to blame the coaching staff that – at the end of the year, they still haven't gotten it ingrained into the team that, hey, Peter, 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 get away from the ball. Everyone bounce, a get away from the return guy. And if the return guy is not yelling, Peter, 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 it's on the coaching staff to make that a situation that he, he realizes he needs to do that. That's a mistake this late in the game. I don't care that Oregon's played seven games. I don't care. This is that, That's something that gets figured out in fall camp. That's something that gets figured out in the first couple of games of the football season. The fact that last year, Michael Wright was such a game changer for Oregon on kickoff returns and was a, such a game changer early on this year that then they then went away from him being a return guy in some points of the year. And you know, no offense to Chris Hudson, but he's just not the same returner that Michael Wright is. Um, the, the one that really just confuses me, doesn't make sense. And I think ultimately is the bigger issue in this game is the back and forth switching in and switching out at quarterback. Mm -hmm. Crystal ball said going into the game, the plan was to start Tyler Shuck because he's, he's earned it. They felt most confident with him as a starter. He then said that Anthony Brown though would get some short yardage and goal line situation play. And that they also said that at the start of the second quarter, they wanted to see what he could do. And they would put him in there. And then ultimately, uh, Anthony Brown got hot. He led the team on that 98-yard touchdown drive. And Cristobal then said they then decided to go with the hot hand, which was Anthony Brown. And I will say, he looked good. 12 of 19, 147 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions through the air. He did have four rushing, 
four rushing attempts for 36 yards and two touchdowns. He did have a costly fumble, which he had a fumble against USC, and Oregon was just lucky enough to recover it. But he had a fumble against Iowa State. And in the second half, though, he really cooled off. And it felt like, oh, God, here we made a switch to go with, with Anthony Brown. He's no longer the same guy that he was in the first half. And then they put Shuck in, but then Shuck gets two carry or two handoffs, and then they pull him for Anthony Brown. And then we don't see Shuck until the, the last drive of the game for the Ducks. And he finishes the game seven of nine for 79 yards and an interception. And I, I look at this and think, Oregon's coaching staff did no service to Anthony Brown and did no service to Tyler Shuck individually to set them up for success because I'm paraphrasing here, but Tyler Shuck basically said to the ESPN crew going into the game that he needs to have the, the confidence and, and the understanding that, you know, he, he's not over, looking over his shoulder every, every possession. And that's what happened in the second half. And the defense figured things out in that second half against Iowa State. And unfortunately, I think Oregon getting cute and rotating quarterbacks cost the offense any kind of rhythm that they could have had in this game. And this goes back to what I said a couple weeks ago leading up to the USC game and afterwards. Oregon's inability to try Anthony Brown in one of their five games in the regular season has ultimately cost them this Fiesta Bowl, I think, because you didn't know what you had in Anthony Brown all year. And then when it mattered most, it, you, 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 you had to make a decision. Do we pull the guy that started all year and do we run with the guy that's got a hot hand right now? Or is this hot hand just a, a little bit of a fizzle and, it, and it's going to burn out really quickly? And in the second half, it burned out. This is a commitment thing from Oregon's coaching yep. staff. They didn't know who they, they didn't know who they wanted to choose. This, this is like you end up at the altar and all, you know, the months leading up to the wedding, you're, uh, you're unsure and you don't know if you want to either be single or you want to marry this woman. And you end up getting up there and you don't know if you want to say yes or not. And I think that's where Oregon's coaching staff really was. It was like, and, and, and this is symptomatic of two. This is not the only ex ex example of this either. And I'll get back to this point in a second, but I think this is very similar to what's happened at the place. What happened at the place kicking position yes. of you've had Henry Cattleman, who, by the way, I named him the player of the game because there wasn't a lot of things to really stood out from this game aside from him drilling a 47 yard field goal right at the end of the first half. They didn't, they took two to three extra games before making that decision. And it didn't cost them any of the games they lost. Let's be clear there. But Cameron Lewis was the kicker in all three of their wins before they made the change. They made the change to Cadman, who is clearly the better kicker, and he's been the kicker and was a kicker in all three of the team's losses. So that didn't cost them any games. But it, to me, it's symptomatic of what we saw again today. Of it took too long to get to the Tyler Shuck was not good enough for such a long period of time, and they didn't give Anthony Brown a chance. And by the time they wanted to give Anthony Brown a chance, it was too late. It was too late, and they had second thoughts about what they wanted to do at quarterback, and it was too late, and now you get into this game. And it wasn't too late for this game entirely, though, because they could have said, hey, let's just go Anthony Brown. He's going to be the quarterback. He's going to be the quarterback. I know there's a lot of narratives working against this. Like, right, Tyler Shuck comes home, his home state, 
in, the, in a Fiesta Bowl that's 30 minutes from his home against a quarterback who's one of his closest friends. It, what a great national narrative that is. Um, blah, 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 blah. But like cut and dry, if you thought Anthony Brown gave you the best chance to win, you needed to give him the ball and just say, hey, you're our quarterback. Run with it. Go with it. Because this is not like a running back situation, right? And you hear, hey, this is something we've heard in the past. We're going to go with the hot hand where you can say, um, wow, CJ is running a lot better than Travis today. We're going to give him 20 carries. Or yep. wow, Sean Dollars is running great. We're going to, this is a different thing. Playing the quarterback position is much different than playing the running back position. For one thing, the quarterback position requires um, a relationship with multiple players on your team, right? Your center, your offensive line, your receivers, your tight ends. The running back position is basically the offensive line is not changing around you. It, it is a, I need to be able to have a relationship with the quarterback who is not changing. And it's that relationship on the handoffs, right? Switching up a quarterback is asking a lot more. Um, switching up the quarterback like this from drive to drive is, is, I think, really a dangerous thing. You're playing with fire. And it worked against USC. But it worked in, against USC, I think, in part because there was the surprise factor. Iowa yeah. State knew this was They were prepared. They talked about it leading into the game, that they were prepared for it. Um, John Heacock, their defensive quarter, coordinator, talked about this and, and how they would defend it. This was not something that caught them off guard. And here's what I'll say. The one drive that Anthony Brown has a ton of success throwing was the last drive. Anthony Brown had a lot of success throwing. We had no idea what Anthony Brown looked like as a quarterback, really. And I don't think Iowa State did either. And the moment Iowa State goes, oh, he can throw the ball a little bit. He's not just going to be sitting up. He's not going to just be, uh, you know, in on short yarded situations, running quarterback draws or uh, zone read options, or throwing it in the flat to open receivers, he can throw the ball downfield a little bit. They made some changes. And by the time they did that, Oregon was at a complete disadvantage. And I think that's what we saw here. And to me, I think this is the other point I'll make here before throwing it back to you, Matt, is just I think you saw very clearly Oregon Oregon has two average quarterbacks that did not have two good – they did not have a single good one. And this is where they got caught into no man's land of we don't think either one of them is good enough to win this game. Let's just see if maybe one of these does it. One of these guys can get hot and, and, and win it for us. And in the end, I think that, that indecision, like I said, that lack of a commitment to one or the other cost them. I don't think you can do two quarterbacks. I, I think it's a really tough situation to try to pull off. I can't think of a time where it's really worked at Oregon. And I can't really think of a time it's really worked much anywhere else. You kind of have to pick one guy. Oregon didn't have – they didn't make the decision. And I think it really cost them. Because offensively, you're right, Matt. You look at this game and you go, they had 17 points in the first half. Iowa State could not stop them in the first half. Yeah. And they the couldn't second, stop them. They were averaging like 10 yards of play. The issue was they just couldn't get the ball. They could, And then in the second half, the defense, I thought, played a heck of a game. Iowa State scores six points in the second half on two field goals. One of them comes off of a turnover. And if Oregon's offense can muster a little bit of something, we might be talking about a different game. I don't know if they win. But we might be talking about something a little different. So I agree. I think the quarterback situation was just ugly. And now you go into 2021 going like, it's even more confounding. And now you have a quarterback in Tyler Shuck, who I think legitimately is like, I don't know where I'm at. I'm in even yeah. more no man's land. I would have rather almost been, you know, relegated to a backup rather than going into this game being like, am I the guy? Am I not the guy? And I thought Tyler Shuck played okay. Aside from the he one didn't deserve the way Tyler Shuck played today. Uh, you, you don't focus on the interception at the end of the game. It's garbage time. They're trying to make plays kind of pull off a it's miracle. fourth down it's fourth down he's got a, right he's a it's like don't 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 sit here and tell me well he threw an interception okay that doesn't matter tyler shuck did nothing in this game to get benched like no. 
he he didn't deserve to get benched in this game, which opens the door with okay, if you were gonna if all it took was one strong drive from Anthony Brown to basically become the de facto starting quarterback for you, Anthony Brown should have been playing snap one. If that was the case, because Tyler Shuck, I, this all, I don't think this coaching staff has done any favors for Tyler Shuck the last two games. And look, say what you want about his struggles against Cal, his bad play against Oregon State, his maybe a little inconsistent play in the other games leading up to that. But in, uh, in the games now, the last two games, they don't trust Tyler Shuck to throw the football in the second half of the USC game. And then don't ask him to throw the ball until the la- second to last drive of the fourth quarter. And then they say, hey, we didn't ask you to throw because we didn't – I'm putting words in, in, in Oregon's mouth here, but we didn't trust you to make the plays and to win the game and put us in position with your arm in the entire second half. But now all of a sudden with the game on the line, we need first down. Tyler, go, go out there and throw, throw the ball and get us a first down. That's unfair to Tyler Shuck. He's out of rhythm. He, he, he's lacked all confidence now because you zapped it from him. And then in, the, in this BCS BCS game, in this Fiesta Bowl game, he goes three for three, 41 yards. He leads the team on a, on a drive that ends in a touchdown. And then he doesn't throw the ball. He doesn't play until the third quarter, like midway through the third quarter. A full like 25 minutes of game time go off the clock until he gets back into the game. And then they just run two run plays with him. Like, look, say what you want about his his inconsistency. I'm starting to believe the last couple games, his struggles partly fall on him, but also partly fall on this coaching staff. They've done him no favors to build up his confidence. What do you do when you have a young quarterback that's struggling? You put him in plays of success, run some screens, run some outs, Give him, roll him, him out, and and let him get a run pass option. Where hey, if, if your first and second checks aren't that aren't there, tuck it and run. Get six yards, and we live and fight another day. They didn't do any of that. Straight up, just run, 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 run. Oh wait, crap! Now all of a sudden, you need us to win the game. Like that's kind of, I mean, that's on the coaches too. You know, and I feel for Tyler in terms of he went home in this game. His family's able to watch him for the first time, and I, and you're right. He did nothing wrong to come out of the game. And this is a cutthroat business, right? And I mean, Mario said this is and this is the truth of it, right? I mean, this is not this is not patty cake. You don't you don't it doesn't always work out fair. I thought Anthony Brown, based upon how he had played, earned himself a right to have some snaps, but I didn't think Tyler did anything wrong the entire game to just lose his just to not be on the field. And like yep. I said, I don't think you can handle this as a hot hand sort of thing of, you know, Anthony had the hot hand and he didn't deserve to come out. Like, you can't waffle here in indecision. You have to know. And I really do think, like, I I worry a little bit about, like, Tyler Shuck's psyche. And I know there's a lot of fans who are kind of, like, hoping he's not on the team next year. I saw that quite a bit of, like, that's bullshit. That's last I, 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 like, I, I don't swear on this, but that's bullshit. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. I'll let you use that nasty word. <laughs> Terrible word. How dare you? You filthy mouth <laughs> sailor, you. Uh, <laughs> But like, no, I agree. I agree. I, Tyler, you say what you want about Tyler Shuck. All accounts are he is a team first guy. And I thought he got, 
I don't think I don't think he was treated very fairly in this situation. And I think you go into the offseason now, and I don't expect he'll be transfer he'll transfer. I know he was asked. Um, I think he'll stick around. And I, I just I wonder where his head's at. And the other reality here is Anthony Brown could now come back into 2021. Um, and Oregon's quarterback situation. And I don't know how much we want to talk about this because there's a lot more from today's game to discuss to discuss, and we have a whole offseason to talk about this. But like this could be a thing where we head into the offseason, and if you're like, like Las Vegas posting odds on who the quarterback in 2021 is for Oregon, you could legitimately list three to four names and go like Tyler Shuck maybe has the best odds and then it's Anthony Brown and Ty Thompson and then Jay Butterfield. And all four of those guys are going to be people that you say, Hey, they could, who knows? They could legitimately win this job. And I worry about where Tyler Shuck's psyche is at. And I say that in part because we just saw this a couple of years ago with Braxton Burmeister. And I know fans are probably groaning here. We bring that name up, but I bring that up just to say, he was thrown into an almost impossible situation, and I don't think the coaches prepared him for the situation he was in. And I think that really adversely impacted his career collegiately, period. I know he's at Virginia Tech now, and, and I think Tyler Shuck is a vastly superior quarterback to Braxton Burmeister. Braxton Burmeister was thrown out there with zero practice experience, basically, asked to be a starting quarterback in an offense that didn't adjust what it was doing. And was like, yeah, hey, Justin Herbert was just our quarterback. This true freshman who has no experience is now going to be running the exact same offense. I, I just and, – and we saw what happened. His, he imploded. His career at Oregon was terrible. Oregon fans to this day don't not, do not have anything nice really to say about him. And I'm just hopeful that Tyler Shuck has an opportunity here, whether it be as a starter, whether it be as a backup, but in some way to kind of redeem himself because I think he was dealt a really crappy hand here. Um, and I think, unfortunately, in this case, the dealers were the coaches. Defensively in this game, tail two halves for the Ducks. Um, boy, they could not stop anything in the first half. Iowa State at one point was like seven of eight on third downs. And the only time that they, they were stopped, they converted it on fourth down. They scored two touchdowns in the first half on third down plays. And then in the second half, Oregon's defense kind of bows up a little bit. And Iowa State finished. I mean, you watch this game and and you see how it plays out and you don't pay attention to the stats at all. And then you go and you look and you see that Iowa State had 384 yards. Holy smokes. Yeah. 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 Just just a I mean, I, I, I look at this and now you you walk out of this game thinking, okay, the defense had their issues this year stopping the run. Ha, ha, has it changed at all? I mean, Brees Hall went for 136, 34 carries, though. A lot of that was because of how, how often he got the football. He had two touchdowns. Um, I, I look at this and think Jordan Scott's probably gone. He is gone. He has said he's gone. Austin Folio is probably gone. Everyone else is back. The linebacker core is back. You add Justin Flo into the mix. He was missed. He missed most of the year with, with his injury. Your secondary, for the most part, is back. Diama Lenore will go pro. Nick Pickett could go either way. Um, Lenore technically hasn't said he's going pro, but it would be an utter shock if, if if he doesn't come back to school. Agreed. Do we look at this defense, knowing how they played in 2020, and think they're closer to, to getting back to that 2019 level, or are there major concerns? That's a tough one to answer. Um, and I say that because, in part, like this game, and I haven't done game grades. It's a hard game to really kind of look at and take much away from because I look at it this way. I go, okay, 
They were 11 for 19, or Iowa State, I should say, was 11 for 19 on third down and two for three on fourth down. So these are drive continuing plays where Iowa State goes 13 for 22. That's a terrible percentage from a defensive perspective. You need to win more plays than that, period. I also go Iowa State, like Reese Hall's a fantastic running back. He's the best running back Oregon faced this year, probably the best running back he's, Oregon has faced in a handful of years, frankly. And yet, he runs for 136 yards, but he has like four yards of carry. I mean, they kept him in check. He had a couple long runs, one to set up a touchdown that he scored in the next play. Um, I think that was after it was after the special teams, the first special teams mistake. Um, hate that you have to specify that there are two just god awful mistakes on special teams, but that's the case after GJ Johnson's play. But like, I thought they kept him in check pretty well. And if that's a game where they and Iowa State does not receive so many gift drives. And this is the other part with the yardage thing that you have to put into perspective here from an Iowa State perspective. It's like Iowa State gains 384 yards. Well, the reality is Oregon turned it over five times and four of them were on short fields for Iowa State. So Iowa State didn't have to go very far to get, this, to, get you know, to score or to get to, to you know, to, they didn't have much room on the field to gain yards, to amass more. So like that might be a little bit misleading, but I do look at it and go like from a yards per play perspective, Oregon did got a beat downfield one time in the passing game. It was a pass to Xavier Hutchinson that set up their second touchdown um, or the sorry, the third touchdown. It was, the, it was, the, it was the pass that set up the touchdown to go ahead after Anthony Brown's 99 yard drive. Um, they didn't get beat there. They got beat off tackle a little bit in the second half, but not badly. Um, and I think I look at this defense and I go the way they played these last three games and you look at the scoreboard and they gave up 34 points and that's, that's tough. But the way they played these last three games, I, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I really do. Um, I think in coverage, like Oregon's got a fantastic group of secondary players. They really do. They've got great depth there. We haven't even seen Dante Manning. Like he's a guy that everybody was so excited about. We didn't see him play at all this season. Justin Flo, we haven't seen him play at all. He's a five-star. Um, the players they bring in in this recruiting class, lots of talented players that can add to that as well. And yeah, so I go into 2021 thinking like there's reason to be optimistic, but I also go like, I don't know exactly what to make of this game, I, re- I think it's a hard one to digest because they did some things really well, but they didn't get after the quarterback. They didn't win on third and fourth downs, and they didn't fa- force a single turnover. And if they do any of those things s- significantly better, like let's say, they, let's say they win 11 out of 19 third downs. Well, that's forcing more punts. Maybe this game goes different. Let's say they force two turnovers. This game might go differently. Let's say they sack Brock Purdy two times rather than what was zero. Or no, sorry, one. Jordan Scott had one. Or let's say they sack him three times then. This game may go a little differently. They, they made enough plays to keep, to you know, force Iowa State to kind of have to grapple in the second half. But they didn't make quite enough plays where you go, that's an elite, elite group. You know what I mean? So I think I, I feel like there's room for optimism, but they didn't have a complete performance to finish it. Okay. Um, this game ends 34-17, Iowa State. And there's a lot of different storylines that we could go down to, to ra- recap this game. And I, I think, Eric, you look at this and think the, what stands out more is the questions now that loom in the offseason than what actually happened in the game. Um, it, it really felt like this was uh, a snapshot of 2020 as a whole. Oregon plays well for a, a period of time in this football game, but ultimately their inability to make adjustments, their inability – uh, to execute 
uh, and inability of adjustments at halftime or, or in, a, in a late in game situations, clutch moments uh, not going their way. Oregon ends up making it harder and suffering their third loss of the season. Um, we should note a couple things. Uh, apologize post game. We've got a dog in the house. Um, but you look at this and think, okay, Tyler Shuck is, was asked, are you, are you transferring? He didn't flat out say he's coming back, but that's basically what he said. He's not going to consider a transfer. Um, Mario Cristobal, I asked him, is this job completely open at quarterback based off of what we've seen in games? Because we, we don't get to see what happens in practice. And he said it's too early to say that they've got more important things to do there. I think that, that was an interesting decision. Whereas last offseason, you know, Cristobal was – totally open to saying Shuck was the guy. Uh, and we've also got Cristobal saying that he's now going to start, you know, working with the, the senior players on this team over the next three or four weeks about what's next for them. Um, we're going to do big picture stuff going into 2021 here in the next couple of days on the podcast. But real quick, looking at this team, looking at the whole of 2020, how do we summarize this season? It, it, do we? I mean, they are Pac-12 champions, mind you. And Crystal Ball was quick to remind everybody they are the youngest team at the Power Five level. Like, like eighty percent of their roster are freshmen, redshirt freshmen, or sophomores. They did win the Pac-12. We should remind. I mean, they were in the Fiesta Bowl for a reason. Is this season a success? Is this season a disappointment? How do we look at this? Oh, it's a really hard one, Matt. It really is. And I've been sitting here thinking about it a lot, even before we started podcasting, because I think you go, it's almost almost like one game all season, you kind of saw the promise come together, and that was against USC. And you saw against an elite level of at least athlete on USC. The defense played well enough to win. The offense minimized mistakes well enough to win. But there wasn't really another game all season where you could say that, like, period. Um, I mean, the first couple of games, they turned it over left and right, and the defense was pretty uneven. And then after that, it was just both sides of the ball were, were, were up and down. And obviously, I thought the Cal game, the defense played great in a half, and the offense played bad in a half. And this game right here, I feel kind of the same way. I thought the offense played pretty good in the first half of this game and pretty bad in the second. And I thought the defense played pretty poorly at times in the first half and really well in the second half. And I think that pretty much encapsulates the whole season. It was a season of how good can best-case scenario Oregon be? And I tweeted this out earlier. Of There was always this promise of best-case Oregon. If, if they all put it together, if it all comes together, how good can they be? And we never saw it. They played seven games, and one side of the ball was always up and down. Sometimes both were down. Sometimes both were up at times and then down at times, like I said. And so I look at this season and go like, I think you can't take away the Pactual championship. And I know other fan bases will try to and try to minimize it because they didn't play Washington and technically they weren't division champions. And I still take issue a little bit with that because Washington, Washington played significantly fewer games than Oregon did. Um, and they didn't play head to head. So it's not like this was stolen from Washington. Washington kind of took it away from itself by not being eligible to play in that game. And I know COVID is COVID, but it wasn't Oregon's fault that Washington couldn't play in that game. That's a discussion for another time, I guess. But like, you can't take away the fact that they were Pac-12 champions. But I would say, like, I reflect on this season, and it's a really big 
kind of like what if season. What if they'd ever figured it out? And the reality is they never did. The reality is this whole season came and it went. It came faster than normal because it's half the length of a normal season. Only played seven games. But for me, it's always going to be a season where I look at it and go like, they just never played. They didn't have a single game where the both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball played their best football. Not a single one. Most of it wasn't even close to that. And I think that's how I'm going to look at it. Is just a season of like, well, they won the conference, but they played pretty uninspired. Or pre- I don't know, uninspired is probably not fair, but they played pretty uneven to not good football for probably more quarters than they did not. And it was a very frustrating season, especially coming off a season where they had been Pac-12 champions, won the Rose Bowl, and the sense was they could compete for a college football playoff. I know this is an uneven year, and you can make all sorts of excuses for why Oregon didn't repeat a lot of those sort of things. But I think I'm always just going to look at this season and say, is it a disappointment? Not entirely, because they won the conference championship and they played in a major bowl game. But it's a disappointment from the fact that they just never, not even once, did we see their best. We never saw their best. We never saw what the best Oregon 2020 football team could be. And for that, that's a disappointment. Certainly going to be interesting, nonetheless, see the storylines that shake out. And we should note that before this game even kicked off, there was a report that um, Kellen Moore of the Dallas Cowboys wasn't going to be a primary target moving forward for Boise State, that, that Andy Avalos would become square number one for them. Uh, while we were recording this podcast, uh, Chris Mortensen uh, and Ed Werder of ESPN have both reported now that Kellen Moore has informed Dallas he's staying with them as their offensive coordinator, bypassing an opportunity to return to his alma mater at Boise State. So we walk out of this game knowing Oregon has a loss under their belt now. They're 4-3 and three to close out the season. Mario Cristobal is also now going to have to see if he will be not only – finishing off his 2021 recruiting class in the next couple of weeks, but he could potentially now be having to do, you know, some coaching searching and, and we, we might see Andy Avalos go off to Boise state. Avalos said ahead of this game that he hasn't been contacted or hasn't spoken with Boise state. Um, they've just made their athletic director higher. Uh, it's sounding like now things are really going to ramp up for Boise state, especially now that Avalos season is over with. Um, we'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, recruiting will be we're going on. Players are going to be working with the coaching staff, figuring out what's next. Do they come back for their senior year? Should they go pro? Will guys just say, you know what? I'm done playing football. I, I want to do something else in life. Uh, we'll, we'll see that play out as well. And then before you know it, the fourth quarter program uh, will be beginning for Oregon as they will prepare for the 2021 football season and their defense of their two-time Pac-12 championship. Uh, it's, I, I'm with you, Eric. I, I think this is a success of a year. It just ultimately, sadly, unfortunately, ends with a sour taste in your mouth with how this game plays out. Um, there are a lot of positives with this team. There are also, I think, what's interesting is that there's also a lot of room for improvement, and that can be scary in both directions. This team could be really, really good. Uh, if they can put it all together. And it's also, though, that, hey, this team is still nowhere near that level that we expect them to be at relatively soon under head coach Mario Cristobal because of the way that they've recruited and being in that college football playoff discussion every single year. Um, Certainly going to be fun to see play out. It's been a fun year covering this team in different manners, Eric. Um, I think it's been challenging. It's been fun. It's been interesting. It's been exciting. 
Um, and I've had, a, I've had a blast, right? Doing this post-game edition, and it's our, our last one of the year. Oh, I should say a happy new year to everybody and 2021. Let's hope it's a little better than 2020. And I'm not just talking football. I'm just talking big picture. What a, quite a challenging year 2020 was for a variety of reasons. So I hope for all those listening for their health and safety entering 2021. Um, and I, I just, I just want, I guess I want to thank everybody. I know one thing we mentioned earlier is I, I don't know what the final tally was, but we almost doubled our downloads number yeah. from 2019 to 2020 um, podcast grew an incredible amount this year. And thank you to everybody who has listened to so subscribed, who has, you know, taken part in the mailbag and posted questions on a weekly base basis. Those are going to continue. So don't stop. Um, and, and we're going to continue. And, and this podcast, which again has grown a lot. I have a lot of optimism that it's going to continue to grow in 2021 and just get bigger and better. Um, so thank you to everybody who's listened to these podcasts. I wish that our, I know technically it is January 2nd. So technically this is our first, this is our first podcast. I think technically that we've recorded in 2021. Um, but I just want to thank those listening for a heck of a year in 2020 um, and to, and to stay with us because we're going to keep trying to build this podcast. We've got some cool, fun ideas that we're going to start working on here the next couple of weeks from a podcast perspective to keep things interesting in the off season. We'll keep doing our basketball podcast, recapping the men's and women's team. Um, and certainly it has been, as Matt said, a wild and interesting year from a game perspective, but sort of sad to see and have to end it on a sour note from a post-game perspective. A couple too many of those. Let's hope 2021 provides some more optimism, some more fun, some more fun game recaps where we can talk about, you know, this was a fantastic Oregon win over a big time team. Not quite as many of those as we'd like, but, like, uh, like Matt said earlier, fun year, and uh, I think 2021 should be even better. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Until, what, September? You will hear us for a post-game edition. But, like Eric said, we'll be out every single week, multiple times with multiple podcasts throughout the offseason, through basketball season, through recruiting, through spring football. So, while the post-game edition is going away for the next couple of months, Eric and I will continue to be on here week to week, day to day. And until then, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.